This is a podcast from Minute Media. I'm solid to the crack, never change me and my son the rain. It gets wet when we hang. I'm solid, could touch the blue part of the flame. The blue part of the flame. And nothing I just wanna rain. roll with those in the bottom. The sports comedy podcast that voted already and is gonna vote again, but like also do stuff. I'm your host, Adam Weinerman. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your silly little distractions during weeks like this one. I don't know, the toilet store? You probably find us there. Coming up in a bit, Matt Edwards, aka the Phillies fan who turned his basement bathroom into a shrine to the bullpen called the Relief Room, aka my hero. But first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. Duke's Paolo Bancaro was drafted number one overall by the Orlando Magic, which happened a week ago, but feels like it happened 35 years ago in NBA time. That was one of four first-round picks from the university this year. And even the haters must admit there is no better place to get a kid ready for the NBA by coaching them to overlook their biggest collegiate games. Bancaro was surprised to be going to Orlando considering his magic ran out in the Final Four. Rounding out the top three were Chet Holmgren to OKC and Chet Holmgren's lanky legs stretching out all the way down the board to Houston at three. The New York Knicks traded out of the first round entirely instead of picking at number 11, probably because their roster is pretty much set already. So, all good there. Can't improve on perfection. It appears now that the Knicks are the frontrunners to sign point guard Jalen Brunson, an impressive third piece on a theoretical team that already has the first two. Brunson reportedly is eyeing New York because they give him the best chance to money. The San Antonio Spurs traded DeJounte Murray to Atlanta for Danilo Gallinari in the surest sign yet that Greg Popovich wants nothing to do with these people anymore. Murray will be the perfect running mate for Trey Young, even if Young has to be reminded a few times per game that he's also on the court. Kyrie Irving reportedly prepared a wish list in case he was unable to come to terms with the Brooklyn Nets. Unfortunately, most of the wishes are ancient incantations and wet herbs. It's more like a spell list. Irving could reunite with LeBron James on the Los Angeles Lakers, or he could retire to weave hemp into Advil. Who can say? Unfortunately for all interested parties, Irving tweeted on Monday that he's opting into a deal in Brooklyn saying, quote, normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. Paper planes carve paper paths and the folded up aircrafts air as they craft. Tigers lurking in the reeds, wires perking up the seeds. And some of that's real and some of it's fake and you all have no idea what part's what. Wires perking up the seeds was real. The Brooklyn Nets also zoomed up the list of betting favorites for DeAndre Ayton out of nowhere, sparking rumors of a Kevin Durant trade to the Suns. If Durant does go to the desert, he'll be able to look out his window every day and see the next 10 years of Nets basketball. Jalen Brown liked a tweet saying that no one gets more disrespect from Celtics fans. Celtics fans are trying to get a handle on what that could mean, while Brown is just trying to get a handle. The Houston Astros no-hit the New York Yankees in the Bronx on Saturday, so does that mean the Astros are cheating again or the Yankees stopped cheating? Sorry, I kind of lost count. Uh, This was the first time the Yankees have been no-hit since the Astros also did it in 2003, when Jose Altuve was just 12 years old and somehow two inches taller. 
Former 2013 number one pick Mark Appel got his first ever big league call-up on Saturday at the age of 30. Tragically, Appel asked for his MLB salary in Vine stock. That is so 2013. And Dodgers first baseman Freddie Freeman fired the agent who negotiated his deal with LA and his departure from the Braves. Freeman's teammates insist he's happy with the Dodgers, even though his new walk-up song is Georgia On My Mind. His Instagram bio just says Real Housewife of Atlanta, and he's now playing home games in a Braves jersey. And now, the owner of the relief room. I did grow up, and no Phillies fan wants to hear this, and I understand that, but I grew up at a point when the Yankees were winning titles in 96, 98, 99, 2000, yeah. and I kind of was getting bored with the dominance. Again, nobody wants to hear that. And so, <laughs> yeah, boo-hoo, pal. Yeah, absolutely nobody wants to hear that. But I was 10, and I was getting made fun of by you know Mets and Red Sox fans, and I didn't get it. So I went to the vet a couple of times, and they had like, they had a lot of great stuff for kids. They had like uh, they had like a booth where you could call a game. You could record yourself calling an inning. Yep. They had all these games on the ground level. And then we used to do running the bases and it was much easier for autographs. And so from like 01 to 08, I was a pretty big Phillies fan too. Nice. And then after they won the title, I was like, well, that's that was so satisfying, but also like pretty weird now. Like, I guess I now I have two teams that win rings and, and like, I, that was my freshman year in college. And a lot of my friends were like, you're a Phillies fan. And I was like, well, yeah, but also a Yankees fan. And they're like, well, that sucks to hear. I don't want to hear that. So oh um, nine must have been and really then 09. Weird. Yeah. Oh nine. I basically disavowed it. But now I'm, you know, I'm going to marry a family of season ticket holders in, in November. So I'm, I'm back to to a certain extent. To it. Yep, got it. Well, there's there's some parallels there. I mean, I grew up a true and true Phillies fan, but I lived with my now wife in Hoboken, New Jersey for a number of years. Uh, and we both worked in the city and just being a baseball junkie, I still maintained my season tickets for the Phils and made my 17 game trip down here every year. But uh, I got a Yankees season package as well. So I got, I think it was a 14 or 15 game package just to keep watching ball. We didn't have kids yet. And it was just, you know, I'm a, I'm a junkie for it. So I yeah. wanted to see every team I could, uh, so they kind of became a default second team, but that that all changed in 09. Yeah. Uh, so I, I my wife still will, you know, every so often check in on them and give them a thumbs up kind of thing. But I have a little bit of that. But uh, but still true and true. The red pinstripes, not the not the dark blue pinstripes. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I like knew I cared about the Phillies when I drove all the way down and saw a Jose Mesa blown save. And I was like, I was like 12. And I was like, God, that sucked. Oh, right. Like, oh, now I have like a passion for this. Um, it's not just like, it's not just something I can like, you know, go and record my voice on, on the, uh, you know, at the Yeah, yeah, at the right, booth. right. Well, you know, Jose Mesa has a pretty high status around here uh, being recognized as the all-time Philly saves leader. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, and that one blown save, obviously. Just um, obviously just that one, yeah. Yeah, you only blew one. Um, I, I guess, I mean, you... Your wife is into baseball enough that, you know, she's sort of attached to the Yankees somewhat, which I guess just, you know, I, I am a baseball obsessed, you know, guy as, as well. I've never quite taken it to the level that you have. And so I guess in the nicest way possible, sort of how does someone as normal as you end up creating a shrine in your basement to the Phillies bullpen? 
I mean, it really just started as a, I mean, one, it started as love for the 08 team. When we won, there was so much excitement that, uh, you know, this, this house that I'm in now is the house I grew up in. So I bought it, we bought it from my parents. So when that happened, we did not own this house. So my dad just being so excited, we talked, you know, I think we screamed into the phone for each other to each other for like five, 10, a hundred minutes that night. Um, but that just to keep it going, we went to the parade and it was, well, how can we, I just want to see Brad Lidge, you know, exulting on his knees every minute of every day. How can I keep seeing that? And my dad's like, I'm hanging this picture up somewhere. And he's like, well, where, where is mom going to let me do that? Uh, and we just made a joke, like, well, just hang it, hang it behind the, the head, like hang it in the toilet. And he did. And then it got lonely. And a week later, Tug joined him. And that's just how it stayed for just a little bit. And then once I bought the house, just two years later, I, I'm a collector. I've always loved baseball cards. I got buddies that we still collect together. We go to the card shows, memorabilia shows. And one of my best friends would go and just find guys with the funniest mustaches or guys with the old uh, vet seats in the background, you know, um, with the windbreakers under their jerseys, just something silly. And that just kind of became the goof between just five or six of us friends. And then I started hanging them on the wall and it's like, okay, this is taking on a little bit of a life. And one of my other pals recommended I go on Twitter. And the next thing you know, I'm in the New York times, um, you know, so it, it, it definitely snowballed, but it really started with mustache jokes with my buddies and the love of collecting cards and, and that kind of thing. So it, it's surprising to me a little bit that uh, nobody else thought of the joke. I mean, you relieve yourself in the bathroom and to fill it with relief pictures. It seems so easy. It's a, uh, but I don't know. I guess I just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, is is there a piece of memorabilia that you're uniquely proud of that you did not get to show off in the New York Times piece that you would like to brag on now? Um, it was alluded to in the New York Times piece was uh, Dick Perez. Um, mm. He 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 made all the the Donruss you know cards, the Diamond King cards in the '80s, and he was the he was the official illustrator for MLB or. You know, he sent me a, 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 a drawing, you know, like a one of one. And he, my buddy, we, we reached out to him and told him about what we were doing, what I was doing with this. And, and he sent me one of those. And that was pretty awesome. Um, I mean, I, I have Toby Borland's game used cleats. I have, I have Lowell Palmer on a, on a super ball, like a bouncy ball. Uh, I, I mean, so there's just, there's some quirky stuff there. I know Tyler mentioned the Sparky Lyle bar of soap, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I have some just really obscure things, but the, the, the bouncy ball, the super balls are pretty, uh, they're just unique. They're, they're, they're pretty fun for me. You know, uh, the, the, and of course, Scott Ayer signing the, uh, the toilet seat is, I mean, he even told me, he's like, no one's asked me to sign anything so weird like this. Like, this is amazing. Did you build that for him? He didn't come with that, right? You had he did to not come with that. That was gifted to me. One of my friends uh, reconstructs furniture. Um, and it started as a hobby for him. And now it's part of his, that's his, that's his livelihood. Um, and he made that for me. He, so on the inside of it is a, is my avatar on Twitter is Al Holland's face <laughs> with the, just like he looks like he's smelling something terrible. Uh, and then he, and he painted that and stenciled the relief room on there. So when I showed that to Scott, I was like, Hey, look, I think, you know, everybody that comes here, that is a Phillies, a former Phillies reliever needs to sign this. This is like the, this is the thing to sign. So he's the only one so far. Yeah, that was my next question. I mean, obviously, anyone who enters the relief room is a reliever, but is is Scott Air the only Phillies reliever to see it in person so far? So far, 
so far. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm friendly on Twitter with a number of guys that, that, that used to play. So I'm hoping that they'll, you know, that this will, and especially now with the little acclaim with the, I mean, the New York times, maybe, uh, maybe I'll get a little more leeway and some folks will pop in. That would, that would be a trip. I mean, I know Chad Durbin calls the games on the radio for the Phils. And I mean, I met that guy pre relief room days and then he, you know, we shared a beer and he was a great guy. Well, now he knows all about me and, and laughs about the idea. So I could, I could see him popping by. So Chad, let's go. Yeah. I mean, you got Scott vouching for you too. Um, totally. I mean, do you have any sort of amazing nuggets or stories from that day that hit the cutting room floor that you're able to share? Oh man. Uh, well, well, some I wouldn't share. Yeah, um, I would not make you because they just got they they got a little a little personal with some. He he, yeah. They, I mean, he spent a good amount of time here, so he told some fun <laughs> stories. Um, but the coolest thing was, like I said, I'm a collector. I had I had packs of cards, unopened packs lying around. So we opened some together, and what a cool trip was for him to be like, oh, I gave up a hit to this guy, or oh, I struck out that guy. And so there was there was stuff like that, and just. That was that was pretty pretty neat just as a fan getting that inside perspective on things. So I, uh, I I can't share too too many of them at least publicly. Maybe if we shared a beer one time, I'll uh, I'll share with you. Yeah, if I drop by, we'll we'll reserve those. But I will I will not go, bring the microphone and the Zoom room. That, that's exactly right. Off the record stuff. Absolutely, yeah, I understand yeah. the the tenants. <laughs> um, now I know it's probably impossible for you to pick. Um, especially because this uh, was sort of based on the joy from 08 was sort of the impetus for this, but obviously your fandom goes way back. Can you choose between the 08 bullpen and like the early eighties bullpen? Do you have a favorite or does it all just sort of blur together? Uh, that is a tough one. Cause that's like choosing your favorite child, you know? Um, I, I really love, I really love Warren Brewstar from the, the early eighties. And again, that's mostly aesthetics, like the mustache and the chest hair popping out of the jersey. And it's the and from everybody I've talked to that has known or met him says he's just aces. He's the best guy ever. Um, so he ranks real high for me. Um, and then, I mean, of course, Scott Air. I mean, we're, we're pals now. Like we we text and BS and, and send, you know, the most just the most nonsensical things back and forth. And it's just awesome, just like you do with your buddies. So he's he ranks real high for me there um but i mean if i hadn't met him i don't know i I don't know if i i would have probably just stuck with lidge or madsen because they were amongst the two most dominant um but it it really it it comes back to either personal interaction or hilarious photos (laughs) do you do you have a white whale for your collection something that you either know is out there and don't have yet or don't even know if it's out there but if it ever showed up you would pounce all over it i've, I've knocked a couple of those off the list already because just guys that played for six games or something like that that didn't have a baseball card or or even photos of them in philly's gear was rare if they were in the 70s or 80s but there's there's one and i talked to uh i talked to tyler about this from the times uh casper wells mm-hmm. it was a, an outfielder that pitched in one game that Tyler attended, he was at that game. Uh, John McDonald also pitched in that game. And my friend, Mike Carroll, who's one of my closest friends and, and collaborators with the relief room, he, he and his brother, Brian, find a lot of stuff for me. Um, and he he said he he found a, a photo of, of Casper Wells, like covering home plate, you know, like, like that kind of, like where he was clearly, that was from the game that he pitched. But 
couldn't get a copy of it and couldn't find it. And it was like the guy who was selling it, it he lost it in his attic or something like that. So Casper Wells ranks pretty high just because he's an odd one and just not even a true reliever. Um, so that one ranks pretty high. But I've gotten some other ones like there's stuff that w- my friends have made for me, Steve Fireovid and Cy Acosta and Dan Warthen and guys that, you know, ha- don't have cards, but I have cards of them, you know, quote unquote cards of them. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, is is there, you know, d- does this love for the bullpen sort of get you to the point where do you, do you are you able to hate relievers on other teams, or, or does sort of the bullpen love transcend it? And you're like, I can't, I can't stay mad at you. I root for them a little bit because they're they've got that whole quirky mentality, and it's a little bit of the of the the me against the world, the little guy, right? Like there's a guy last year that pitched on the Cubs named Andrew Chafin, who one had a magical mustache. But was what got got pretty uh, well known because he was wearing a T-shirt pregame that said "failed starter," right? Which that's just poking fun of himself, you know. Obviously, he's at the top level of his game, but not high enough to be one of the top five, right, on the team. So that kind of mentality, I really just embrace. So I, I, I guess I give them a little more deference and a little longer leash for uh, with those guys. And I mean, relief pitchers. I mean, they they bounce around, you know, they go from team to team. So I can't hate on somebody too bad because he might wind up on my wall one day. (laughs) Uh, Who is, who is sort of the worst Phillies reliever who you still have love for either present day or all time? Oh boy. That's a tough one. I mean, there's so many that have just had atrocious careers. (laughs) Uh, I I think that's part of the joy too, is I get to sell those guys whether they came in and, and had the worst outing ever there's a guy that pitched in the 30s named Hal Kellerer that has literally the worst relief appearance in the history of the sport I think it was 12 earned runs he gave up in that inning like just they just they literally hung him out to dry that whole inning uh so he's obviously terrible yeah. um I mean and there were guys from way back in that time too that like especially war times guys that shouldn't have been in the majors played in the majors and I've got their picture on my wall, even though they had horrific stats. Uh, so I don't know if there's one that I, that I poke, you know, point out too, too uh, much, but I mean, I, I love the, I love the whole cup of coffee guys, the guys that had one outing or two outings that just made it for one game. And that was it. And I like to celebrate those guys, even, I mean, they made it, they, they made it. They were one of the, 23,000 people or so that have made it to the majors. So I like to give them a little extra love uh, as well. Here's a segment of the podcast. that's for absolutely nobody other than you and I, I I thought I knew about baseball and and then reading the article, it introduced me to Tom Hilgendorf, who's somebody I had never heard of in my life. And then story really is incredible and definitely resonated with me. What about his career? sort of resonated with you so hard to, to get to. And again, this is for absolutely no one. People will it's, stop listening and start listening. Everybody that's a fan of the relief room, because everybody knows I'm this guy's biggest fan. Yeah. I mean, his his great nephew reached out to me on Twitter and was like, <laughs> hey, I only met the guy once, but I love how much you're celebrating him. And you have a T-shirt made of him. Could I get one? <laughs> like, my buddy makes me T-shirts. I'm wearing a Toby Borland one right now. Oh, that's um, beautiful. But it's, I, I have one of one shirts of a lot of different things, but Tom Hilgendorf one, it was his baseball card where he was only like 34 years old in the card and he looked like he was 64 uh, and just had the big chops down the side and just the aesthetics of this Phillies card was primo. But I do a lot of research on these guys when I when I get a card or, or any memorabilia and digging into him, 
I mean, he saved a kid drowning in a pool. He he was in the ten cent beer night melee, uh, and 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 got you know crushed with a chair and just gushing blood and and pitched the next game and got six outs. Like he to me is just the kind of guy that just goes, okay, well I got I got to cut whatever, mop it up, get me back to my job. Like I just like that whole uh, that whole lunch pail mentality is definitely a blue collar thing that Philadelphia obviously embraces. Um, but it was just those couple things in a row. It was like, this guy didn't have a long career, but he just did some really badass things even off the field. Uh, and it just, it just was way too easy for me to champion his cause and to, to make him like a, a folk hero. And it, some of it was tongue in cheek, of course. Uh, but it's taken on a life of its own. And I, before he passed away, I sent him something to sign and he sent it back. And it was just, I mean, it, that one hangs on my office wall in here. Uh, and he signed a card, of course, that's in the relief room. But it's, I mean, just the the story of a, of a guy that nobody's ever heard of and the stuff that nobody ever knew because it wasn't about his pitching stats, that stuff thrills me. I think that's the, I, I think that's the real meat of it that, that, you know, makes me want to root for these guys on and off the field. Yeah, you, you have this amazing blend of sort of, <clears throat> like, you have this eternal optimism, like you're keeping space on the wall for the next world champion, Right. Like you made that like that. This is not yeah. going to be filled by anyone until somebody else closes out the World Series for the yeah. Bills. But then again, you've got this ironic thing where the team continues to neglect the bullpen. Like you're keeping the bullpen <laughs> yeah. story alive while the people in charge of the Phillies are kind of like, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, so do you sort of balance that out by, you know, taking so much time to appreciate the narratives? Yeah, while the t- like sort of feeding your rooting interest in the team's performance into regenerating history a little bit. I think that gives me some sanity with it because these last couple of years, the Phillies bullpen has obviously been a dumpster fire on a whole. There's obvious moments of, of greatness, but uh, the last couple of years have been really tough to try to champion some of these guys. But I think you I think you nailed it. That really just gives me a little bit of, of deference between the little bit of platitude, maybe between the two. Like, all right. I can still love this team and root for these guys just on a, on a team rooting level. But then I go and do some research on some guys and find out that, you know, Blake Parker's dad was involved with signing Toby Borland. And, you know, so I'll find little nuggets of things that, that I can weave in there and that makes it fun. Uh, so yeah, that, that helps me keep a level head with it. Cause when, when they're just blowing game after game, it makes it hard, but uh, to find some kind of, you know, some kind of nugget of joy in there is, is definitely entertaining. Yeah. I, I guess the cap to that question is when will Joe Girardi join you in the relief room? Now yeah. that he sort of has some time to kill. <laughs> hey, I would love it. Cause I would love to hear the stories that he would have to tell or stories that he couldn't tell about some of these guys and yeah. why he leaned on one guy instead of another. And that, that would be great. I would gobble that up. Yeah. Um, I, I will wrap with this. I'll, I'll let you go. Um, are you going to be at the Phillies Wall of Fame ceremony for Ron Reed? I feel like, how can you possibly miss that? I absolutely will be there. It's so funny because a number of friends reached out like, are we going? Are we going? And I was like, come on, of course we're going. Uh, well, I, I reached out to the Phillies on Twitter and said, hey, look, if you need somebody to you know, pull the, pull the curtain off of the plaque, I mean, who better? I, I really think, I mean, if we can start that somehow, I think that would be a real hit. But yeah, I'll absolutely be there. I mean, one, Bake McBride is going in as well, who yeah. you got to love Bake for all the all the reasons. But yeah, I'll be there for Ron Reed. And I uh, 
I don't expect anything to come out of that. Maybe I can wave to Chad Durbin or something and he can give me a, you know, give me a tip of the cap or something. Yeah. I might need your help there. Cause I was already mentally crafting this world. Like I want to go. And I was like, I got to convince my fiance to let me go to Ron Reed wall of fame day. And it's like, that's a tough, like, that's a tough fight. We don't really watch these games. Like I, I might need you on my side for that. Well, one. There you go. I mean, my, my buddies and I are going, let's get a ticket. Let's go join us. Perfect. Um, I will hopefully see you there, but Matt, thank you so much for, for taking me through your world a little bit. This was, uh, this was, f- even if this was just for me, I don't think it was, <laughs> I think this is for a lot more people, but this was so much fun. Thank you. That's Matt. awesome. Hey, thank you. I love doing this and, and sh- sharing the, the joy that you have with it. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about is sharing, sharing love of something with other people. And that's, it's awesome. It's so fun. Yeah, we, we thought that as... a, a mustache joke, you know, potty humor uh, room would lead to this kind of fun. I'd love it. So thank yeah. you, Adam, for having me on. As soon as I read the piece, I was like, this would be a perfect guest. I don't know if he cares or wants to, but this would just be ideal. And, and thank you so it. much for making it happen. I love it. No, thank you. This is, uh, this is great. I'll be glad to, you know, jump on. We want to share stories about, you know, Stan Bonson or Sparky Lyle or any of those Yankees, <laughs> Phillies, uh, you know, crossovers. We can do a whole show. Did you have Ryan Duran? I feel like I saw him on your Oh own yeah. I got Ryan Duran's book. I can see clearly now. Absolutely. <laughs> that guy's amazing. You know, he was the inspiration for wild thing. Rick Vaughn. I believe it. It's amazing. <laughs> Like that, that right there, that, that seals the deal. I mean, that's awesome. He, he, he goes to the top of the list. His nephew was the lead singer of a thrash metal band wasp. I mean, yeah, it's crazy stuff. God, I could do this forever. Uh, Yeah, I could do this all day. (laughs) Thanks, man. Matt Edwards in the relief room, everybody. Your homework assignment is to listen to that segment of the podcast over and over and over again. I hope you learned something. And if you are Toby Borland, then he wants more cleats. I, I don't know what to tell you. He, he's not satisfied. He, he requires more of your footwear. And now, my final flame. The NBA's player empowerment era has finally gone too far. After Kyrie Irving briefly entertained taking a $24 million pay cut to play with the Lakers simply because he wanted to. Rest assured, No player should have the right to make less money. And they won't on my watch. Because nothing is more expensive than my watch. You sell that thing, you're going to be swimming in nickels. And paper. But enough is enough. When are these NBA stars going to simply go to work and honor their contracts like the rest of us? I know that when I signed a 35-year deal with this podcast in 2021, I didn't do so just to seek another opportunity under brighter lights. I was committed to this two-minute segment at the end of every show. Now, are other companies pursuing me for higher pay? You bet your life they aren't. But that's just the same. If they were, I'd say no. No, these days the NBA is all about dictating trades, deciding if and when you work, and declaring yourself a spiritual being who transcends this earthly plane. And frankly, I'm tired of it. Especially that third thing. Every third string point guard and stretch four these days won't stop declaring themselves to be a collection of matter balls, vibrating constantly against the push of the Earth's four elements. You hear it in every post-game press conference. Are you happy with yourself now, Kyrie? Because that's on you. So, when does it stop? Not anytime soon. Nowadays, college kids are dictating their commitments based on cold, hard cash. Either that, or they're going to play for the G League Ignite, 
for colder, harder cash, aka gold coins. Or they're getting beamed up into the middle of an unbroken sky by a column of ethereal light. They're always doing that. When will it end? Unfortunately, that's the modern league. Fans care more about the trade machine than the pick and roll. Your average spectator is probably more likely to know the salary cap than the starting five. And every team's power forward is just a curtain made of beads. My thanks to Matt Edwards and his amazing relief room. Honestly, the baseball world thanks you. We'll see you next Thursday. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.